from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. So glad that you've uh, tuned in. Coming up, President Biden is in day two of his Middle East tour that began yesterday in Israel. Every chance to return to this great country where the ancient roots of the Jewish people date back to biblical times is a blessing because the connection between the Israeli people and the American people is bone deep. I was President Biden yesterday at Ben Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv. Tomorrow, the president will travel to Saudi Arabia and meet with the Saudi crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, which has grown bipartisan criticism. We'll talk with CBN News Middle East Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell, who is in Jerusalem. And more bad news for the Biden administration today with the producer price index rising 11.3 percent over last year. Now, that's on top of yesterday's announcement of a 9.1 percent surge in the consumer price index. Yesterday's CPI report told Americans what they already knew all too well. The disastrous effects of Washington Democrats' spending binge last year still have our economy in a vice grip. Year-on-year, inflation has hit 9.1 percent for the first time since the fallout of the Carter administration. And the signs are inescapable. Price hikes on everything from food to fuel to housing are setting new multi-decade highs. In addition to the influx of government spending, the lion's share of the increase is being driven by energy costs. Uh, Before I begin, I will address this month's CPI report. There is no question that we still have work to do. But it is important to note that these numbers do not fully reflect the recent drop in gas prices. That was Vice President Harris commenting on the surge in inflation yesterday. But frankly, I don't think 16 percent drop in gasoline per gallon is going to uh, halt the rapid rise of inflation. But we'll talk about it. Last week, we talked about the annual gathering of the National Education Association. From decisions on school prayer that attack religious freedom to vouchers that threaten the right to a universal public education to the long-term devastating impact of the Supreme Court's decision to hijack the fundamental freedom to decide for ourselves when and how to have a family and the care that we need. Like me, you knew these decisions were coming. That still didn't change the gut punch it delivered. That was uh, just a portion of the rant by the NEA president, Becky Pringle, last week. Now, a teacher who attended last week's liberal confab says, quote, public schools are no longer a safe place for families who hold traditional values or for families who believe gender is biologically determined, end quote. That teacher, Brenda Lassop, joins me later here on Washington Watch. And speaking of education, a father in Florida says his point was made when the school board cut off his mic as he was about to read from a school library book. I'm going to read things if there's children watching, cover their ears. He began to I'm going to stop you right there, sir. I'm going to stop you right there. Turn the microphone off. Turn off his microphone, please. That was uh, Bruce Friedman, a parent, attempting to speak at the Clay County School Board. Mr. Friedman joins me later here on Washington Watch, and I won't cut off his mic. FRC's Meg Kilgannon will also be here with me to uh, give us more on the education front. The website is TonyPerkins.com, so check it out. Lots of resources there for you. Also, TheWashingtonStand.com, news and commentary from a biblical perspective. You asked for it. It's all there, WashingtonStand.com. I mentioned this earlier in the week, but this coming Sunday, I'll be preaching at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. So if you're within driving distance, come and join us. For more information on service times, go to TonyPerkins.com. 
Our word for today, coming from our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, is found in Psalm 40. It's verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. To join us in the Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, as I mentioned, it's day two of President Biden's trip to the Middle East, a chance for the president to beg the Saudis to help save him from his own disastrous energy policies and to offer even more concessions to the Iranian regime as he attempts to revive a bad nuclear deal with the world's largest state sponsor of terror. All this while inflation soars here at home and fears of a recession looms. Chris Mitchell is a CBN News Middle East bureau chief. He's in Jerusalem where the president was today, and he joins us now to discuss the president's trip and uh, what's happening there in Israel. Chris, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, it's great to be with you. Now, I understand you've been uh, following the president. He's been there in uh, Israel. What is the reaction in Israel to President Biden's visit? Well, Tony, I would say the reaction uh, for the leaders right now, yeah, like Yair Lapid or the president uh, of Israel, uh, Isaac Herzog, he just gave uh, Biden just a few hours ago one of the highest uh, honors that you can give to a, a foreign dignitary, the Medal of Honor. Uh, so on the surface... Many Israelis have uh, applauded the trip. They're glad that uh, President Biden here, when any U.S. president comes, they certainly uh, recognize uh, the great relationship between Israel and the Jewish state. But there are concerns that people have. One of the concerns will be tomorrow when, for the first time, uh, a U.S. president will go to East Jerusalem. Uh, that's not too far from where I'm standing right now. He's going to visit the called the Augusta Victoria Hospital, but he's not going to allow any Israeli officials to join him. And the concern that people have about that is that it's sort of a de facto recognition that that part of Jerusalem could or maybe would, uh, under a two-state solution, be part of a pal the capital of a Palestinian state. Uh, that's one concern. And I think the other major concern, uh, Tony, would be the subject of Iran. You, you mentioned in your uh, preface about uh, you know, going or making concessions to the leading state sponsor of terrorism in the world, uh, Iran. Uh, both uh, President Biden and Yair Lapid earlier today in a press conference, they both say that, you know, we don't want a nuclear Iran and we will stop a nuclear Iran. But I think President Biden's uh, goal or uh, avenue to do that would be more diplomacy. Yair Lapid said in contrast to that, that diplomacy is not enough, words are not enough, but you need a strong military option on the table. So that's where Israeli leaders and President Biden would differ. Now, Chris, of course, this comes at a time when politics in Israel are kind of uh, up in the air with another election looming in November. What, what is the state of political affairs there in Israel? Well, right now, Yair Lapid is really a caretaker prime minister. Uh, you know, he, he'll be acting prime minister until November 1st, and that will be when the next elections. I think this will be the fifth election probably in the last uh, three years or so. Uh, after that, depending on the results of that election, hopefully there'll be a coalition government uh, that will be formed. Late, the latest polls, uh, Tony, uh, indicate that perhaps Benjamin Netanyahu and his Likud party could actually squeak out a 61-seat majority for a coalition. But that's uh, still four months away from the election. A lot of things could happen. Uh, things do look well for Benjamin Netanyahu right now, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but right now, it's sort of a caretaker government, uh, not a very stable uh, situation when you have threats like uh, a possible and potential nuclear run on the horizon. It's been interesting, Chris, watching some of the reaction to the trip there. In fact, some of the small things, questions raised about uh, President Biden shaking hands there in Israel, um, you know, trying to use COVID as a cover not to shake hands so that he doesn't have to shake hands when he goes to Saudi Arabia. Uh, so that a picture can't be captured with the crown prince. What, what's the expectation uh, from Israel's perspective as the president tra travels over to Saudi Arabia? 
Well, first of all, Tony, there was a lot of uh, talk about the fact that uh, he came out with the idea that he's not going to shake hands with anybody. He came off the plane and he was giving a fist bump to everybody. Then just a few minutes later, he, gave, he shook hands with Benjamin Netanyahu. And then from there, uh, I, he's been shaking hands with Holocaust survivors and others. So that uh, really hasn't worked. Uh, the expectation right now is that it's going to be a, probably a tense maybe awkward and somewhat embarrassing meeting uh, with the crown prince. And he really does go hat in hand to Saudi Arabia uh, looking for more oil production in order to uh, drop the price of gas that you and many others that are watching are paying at the pump in the United States. But there's a really a question whether or not, first of all, Saudi Arabia can increase its production. It has about 11 million barrels a day uh, capacity right now. It can go up to maybe to 12 million uh, barrels a day, but not sure it can do that or would do that. And uh, it remains to be seen. And some people feel that maybe uh, instead of coming east here to Saudi Arabia, uh, President Biden should have gone to Midland, Texas, South Dakota, or many of the other oil-producing states. Yeah, we're waiting to see if he appoints an ambassador to uh, to Texas uh, to actually go down there and work with them to get uh, some oil, the relief on the gas prices. I, I want to go back. we just got a couple of minutes left. I want to go back to the issue of Iran because it would appear to me that this administration is uh, light years apart from what the Israelis want to be the outcome in terms of these conversations and negotiations with Iran. Very much so. They they, uh, they think diplomacy hasn't worked uh, while uh, President Biden has done these uh, negotiations for the last 18 months. Uh, Iran has really progressed significantly on its ability to enrich uranium uh, on the verge of uh, weapons grade uh, uranium, as well as testing uh, ballistic missiles, as well as exporting its uh, brand of terrorism throughout the region. So they're very concerned that the U.S., what the U.S. is doing now is not enough to stop Iran from either getting a nuclear weapon. And that leaves open the option, uh, Tony, for them. Will they have to go it alone with a military option to try to stop Iran's nuclear program? Well, it appears that they are not resting uh, in, in the hopes, even though they want to have America standing with them. It looks like Israelis, um, Israel's military is preparing to go it alone if necessary. If necessary, they have made uh, preparations. They have made uh, public pronouncements. They have done exercises with other countries uh, simulating what a uh, attack on Iran's nuclear facilities would look like. Uh, so, no, they're, they're not waiting. Uh, it remains to be seen. Probably the biggest question in the Middle East right now, what will happen if Iran gets a nuclear weapon or whether or not Israel is going to attack? That. That's sort of the big question right now looming over the Middle East right now, Tony. Yeah. Uh, Chris Mitchell, we're on our way out up against a break, but uh, quickly, 15 seconds. What's the top prayer point that uh, Christians here in America should be praying for as it pertains to Israel? Obviously, pray, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray that uh, there's no harm come to from this uh, visit by President Biden to Saudi Arabia. Pray for wisdom for all the leaders here in the region as they look forward to a perilous time. All right. Uh, Chris Mitchell, always great to see you. Thanks for staying up late and joining us uh, tonight. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Great to be with you, Tony. All right, folks, Chris Mitchell from Jerusalem. You can find out more. Go to TonyPerkins.com. He does daily updates uh, from Israel. And so I encourage you to check that out. All right, don't go away. The economy, bad numbers for the Biden administration. We'll take a look at that next when we come back after this. Don't go away. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit 
frc.org Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host of the website, TonyPerkins.com. While President Biden is on his tour of the Middle East, the economy at home, well, it continues to struggle. As mentioned earlier in the program, year-over-year inflation is at 9.1%. That's the highest it's been in 40 years. And today, the Bureau of Labor Statistics announced that the producer price index, that's PPI, a measure of the prices received for final demand products, soared 11.3% from a year ago, a surge primarily caused by a jump in energy costs. Now, the president has repeatedly said that inflation and getting under, under control is his top priority. Look, folks, um, today I'd like to speak about my top economic priority, fighting inflation. But we've never seen anything like Putin's tax on both food and gas. Now, that was President Biden last month in Los Angeles, again, blaming uh, President, uh, Russian President Putin for what this administration has done by cutting off domestic energy production. Now, another thing, if the president... And his administration would spend half as much time focused on bringing down the price at the pump as they do pushing abortion and transgenderism on America. American families would not be in the financial bind that they're in. Joining us now from Capitol Hill, where votes are taking place in the House, is Ohio Congressman Warren Davidson. He serves on the House Financial Services Committee and the House Select Committee on the Economy. He represents the 8th District of the Buckeye State Congressman Davidson, welcome back to the program. Tony, always an honor and a joy to speak with you. Thanks for having me on. And, and I know you are, are having votes, so you may have to drop, and I'm, so that's fine. But what's your reaction to both the inflation report from yesterday and the PPI, PPI numbers released today? Uh, not surprised at all. Frankly, I thought there was a solid chance that they would actually report double-digit inflation. Uh, and for many things, people are seeing double-digit inflation. The good news is some prices are coming down. Pri- uh, gas prices generally are trending down. Uh, and that, that's showing that the, the Fed's actions and, uh, you, know, the, you know, they always say the, the cure for high prices is high prices, uh, which isn't a good thing, but it, it has an effect on demand. When everything gets more expensive, demand falls back. And you are seeing lumber prices, for example, and certain commodity prices change, pull back and you know, some people say that's the sign that we're starting to enter a recession. And, uh, you know, the textbook definition is two consecutive uh, quarters. Uh, but, frankly, the official determination of that, you know, 
there's a chance to quibble a little bit, and I suspect that's probably what the Biden administration will do coming ahead. So no surprise that, that uh, you know, you were continuing to see strong inflation, you know, off of, off of the, you know, the actions of the federal government. And, you know, we created the Sound Money Caucus back in July of 2020 because we had some unique insight. It, it's just the same thing throughout history. When you print money, uh, it's going to cause inflation. And unfortunately, we were seeing that. Right. But it's made even more significant and more poignant by the fact that we have, uh, like the PPI numbers, being primarily driven and fueled by uh, the high price of energy. This is almost, I mean, this is a self-inflicted wound by the Biden administration when it comes to the economy, is it not? Absolutely, because, look, we were starting to pull back a little bit. There were already, there were problems with the uh, with the economy, but uh, we had done a lot of spending. Some of it was needed to bridge the impact of COVID, um, probably more than was needed even under the previous administration. But uh, the, the Biden administration dumped even more fuel on a fire that was already, you know, pushing the boundaries. And so that $2 trillion American rescue plan, as he called it, I refer to it as the American inflation plan. Uh, it, it did that. But then you add the policies that he put in place uh, on energy in particular. And, you know, right now he's 6,000 miles away in Saudi Arabia groveling for more fuel and energy for America's economy when he could have flown a few hundred miles to uh, an energy producing sector of the United States and, uh, and and changed his policies and said, let's let's produce more American energy. And he was unwilling to reverse his policies. Why? Because it's a feature of the Green New Deal. He campaigned on high energy prices. And when you look at the energy secretary, she always boasts about this transition. And, uh, you know, the transportation secretary says, well, to just buy an electric car. You know, the, this is the mindset of the people leading this administration. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Congressman, because if you go back to the debates, uh, Joe Biden said he wanted to shut down the refineries in this country. I mean, he said it. I was shocked that he did. But that is a part of the new Green Deal. They have to eliminate fossil fuels, and this, as you talk about, the transition, that means it's, it's not a voluntary transition. It's not a, uh, a gradual transition. It's a forced transition, and this is how they do it, jacking up prices so families can't afford to, afford to fill up the car. Yeah, and it, look, it's the same thing. Look, uh, if you look at, at uh, diesel, for example, I mean, it's like 75 percent, 70, 80 percent increase in diesel prices. This transportation cost is hitting everything in our economy, and you know they want less of uh, less of the energy economy. That's one of the secret ingredients to America's success. Right. You know we've we've sat atop energy for as long as there's been an internal combustion engine. It helped us really lead the world in automobiles, aviation, aerospace, computing, the internet age, uh, and and who's strong at. Uh, it, 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 because they subsidize the heck out of it is the electric vehicle market because rare earth minerals and the battery production and solar panel production is China. So, you know, Joe Biden's policies have done more to help uh, China's economy than they've done to help America's economy. And that's shameful. Absolutely right. Uh, Congressman, I know you got to go and we're up against a break. But one final question, if the Republicans retake one or both of the houses of Congress this fall, what would you like to see as immediate actions by a Republican Congress? Well, I, I mean, early actions, I would like to see uh, Anthony Fauci fired by the afternoon of January 3rd. Uh, I would like to see immediate action on the Department of Justice to get justice back in the Department of Justice. Our attorney general is categorizing parents as terrorists. We ought to have immediate oversight on that, and we ought to have immediate oversight on Mayorkas. I think he should be removed as uh, Secretary of Homeland Security. Border security is national security. He's ignoring uh, America's laws. Uh, and creating an effective open border. They might be catching them, but then they're turning it into a travel agency, dropping people off in sanctuary yeah. cities around the country. It's incredible what's happening out at the border. Congressman Warren Davidson, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, stepping off the House floor to uh, talk with us today. Thank you, Tony. All right, uh, Warren Davidson, member of the House Freedom Caucus, fighting for the things we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Coming up, we're going to pull back the curtain on what's really going on in public education. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday afternoon. So earlier this month, the NEA Teachers Union held their annual convention in Chicago and a Democratic campaign rally broke out. We will say gay. We will say trans. We will use the words that validate our students and their families, words that encourage them to walk in their authenticity, to love themselves fully, to become who they are meant to be. Ah, that was the head of the union, Becky Pringle. Joining me now to discuss this is Brenda Lebsack, who attended the conference. She is a teacher, former school board member, who writes at the website Brenda for Kids. Brenda, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Now, you participated in the recent NEA annual convention. Uh, Tell us what you saw. Yes, I was a delegate for California Teachers Association. Um, to represent my district. And what I saw and what I heard was basically the platform of the Democratic Party and very radical ideas um, for public education as far as making public education a place where we are to train social activists for leftist causes. So, So what happened to reading, writing, and arithmetic? Somewhere that got lost. I did not hear any of that. Um, Very little, just a little bit about um, mathematical literacy, financial literacy, um, helping language acquisition for English learners. But other than that, the rest had to do with identity politics, had to do with um, abortion rights, um, you know, the Second Amendment, um, definitely anything having to do with gender identities, and sexual orientations, and that uh, freedom fighters um, for the marginalized. And that little clip you saw from um, Becky Pringle, the president, that was actually, you know, uh, we have so many more genders than that. I mean, she's only listing a few. And when they call uh, the Republicans of Washington extremists, yet they have two-spirit, gender-queer, transgender, cisgender, gender-fluid, gender-variant um Transmasculine, transfeminine, non-binary, questioning, intersex. I mean, it goes on and on with these identities that we're supposed to be protecting. So, so I would think, Brenda, that's got to be very complex to be in such a setting and make sure you use the right pronoun. 
Well, I actually attended virtually because um, anyone who wasn't didn't have a vaccination card was not allowed to attend in person, even though our union locals did fully fund it. Um, so, yeah, I felt like anyone not vaccinated, we were kind of segregated outcasts and had to attend from home. Well, Brenda, speaking of being an outcast, I think from a standpoint of just ideologically, you would be somewhat of an outcast given what I've heard coming from that convention. Are there other teachers like you who are, are committed to teaching children in the public school system and just don't buy into all this radical stuff, but they don't have a voice? Absolutely. I don't think the radicals in the NEA represent the majority of public school teachers. However, they're doing a lot of arm twisting, um, and it, in California, it's through the laws. So basically um, scaring teachers that if we don't use all these pre preferred pronouns, um, we would be, you know, accused of sexual harassment, that we would be um, mean people because according to their suicide prevention, you know, if we don't uh, affirm all of these many multiple um, myriads of genders, then we would be contributing to harm, suicide, depression, anxiety. Now, I, I know you weren't there, and so you attended virtually, so you probably didn't have a lot of interaction with the other delegates. But from your perspective of what you might be hearing, as parents across the country are engaging at the school board level, addressing these issues of this radical uh, transgender ideology, uh, you know, the CRT that's uh, made its way into many of the classrooms, or at least the framework for that. Is that making a difference by parents getting involved? Are you seeing or hearing anything? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, they are feeling the pushback, but I just want to let parents know, because I did bring this up. Um, I did speak four times in the debate because a lot of issues were about mental health and suicide prevention. And I spoke um, and said, you know, if we're going to put money into mental health, then we need to be fully transparent about the suicide prevention hotlines that are being handed out to students now because there's a lot going on behind parents' backs virtually. Um, our Trevor Project and the Trevor Space, the chat space that kids are being recommended into, are mixing minors with adults, unvetted adults, random adults internationally um, to explore their genders and sexuality. This is not a safe place. Um, this is a sticky web for sexual predators, and yet it's completely ignored. Hmm. Brenda, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for two things. One, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your experiences uh, from last week's convention. But I also want to thank you for being a teacher and being in the classroom, being in what could be a hostile situation with an ideology that has just taken over America's classrooms. Thank you for caring about the kids and teaching them the things that will help them succeed, the basics of education. Thank you. And Good folks, you heard it. If you're involved, you're making a difference. So I want to encourage parents to continue to engage at the school board level. Maybe you need to be a candidate for the school board. We've got resources for you. We've been holding a school board boot camps. You can find out more about that at FRC Action. You need to be registered and you need to be voting. We're in primary season and we're going to have a lot of school board elections that are going to be on the ballot. We need to know who's running. We need to support good conservative candidates that are going to bring sanity back to education. And we need to vote for them. We need to turn out and vote. Pray, vote, stand. All right, don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch on the other side of this break. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com.
With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. Coming up September 14th through the 16th at First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. That's September 14th through the 16th at First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. So you want to make plans now to join that? Go to prayvotestand.org slash summit. A father had his microphone cut while attempting to speak at a school board meeting. His offense, attempting to read from a book taken from a school library. Yes, he was going to read publicly what children can check out from the library. Now, content that was deemed too offensive for adults to hear is freely available for our children at school. Are we surprised? Should be. Joining me now is that father, Bruce Friedman. He is the uh, Florida. He's the Florida chapter president of No Left Turn in Education. Uh, Bruce, thanks so much for joining us. I, I just, this is amazing that you were just simply reading a book from a school library and they cut off your microphone. Thank you for giving the opportunity to spread the word about this item. The Tell us about book it. that I intended to read was not necessarily deemed pornographic by the Board of Ed. The lawyer called it such, and he immediately shut off my mic citing FCC regulations because he wanted to control the narrative. Well, that's kind of run away from him now, so let's control the narrative. This book is one of many, hundreds in my opinion, that need attention. They don't necessarily need to be removed. They're certainly not. I'm not looking to ban books or burn books. It's not Kristallnacht. I want them removed from children's access points. All the public libraries are okay. They can have an adult section. There's free speech of First Amendment. Have any book you want. In the school libraries, how about we have books that are appropriate for children? Sounds reasonable to me. Doesn't it sound a little ironic that the FCC violations that the board was concerned about, if you read from that book, that that same standard would not apply to minors in public school libraries? Uh, irony appears to be lost on our opponents. Uh, it's so. So let me ask you: After they cut off your microphone, what? Because I've watched the video of that. What happened after that? I've been at board meetings where members of the board or legal representation for the board or county made an effort to quiet and filibuster me in the past. It hasn't been successful before. I usually shrug it off even better than I did with Bruce Pickner, the man who turned off my mic. 
in this case, while he was talking to me, I had to first clarify that he wasn't stealing my three minutes. I'm only allowed three minutes to say my piece. He started to talk over me. Is the clock stopped? Is anybody monitoring? Will I get my three minutes back? That needed to be clarified immediately. So, of course, I refused to hush up. Uh, once he accepted the fact that I was free to talk about another topic for my three minutes, I let him go off. He talked about the FCC. He used the word pornography. I didn't have to. He talked about the inappropriateness of those words for children. We're in harmony. I also think they're inappropriate for children, especially high schoolers, where it was a book on the shelves among many. I brought three examples with me to the board meeting. I only got to discuss the first one, but I presented the board, the trifold board that was made on my behalf. I brought that up to the Board of Education, and I put it in front of their representative, who is Roger Daly, Chief Academic uh, Officer for the county. He's appointed by the super in the district. So he was just sitting in. He was the lucky guy who got to read the stuff that I was otherwise going to have to say out loud. He's now working with me to get these things removed. So how would you suggest parents go about doing what you've done by going in, looking and seeing this objectionable material that is available to minors and then bringing it to the attention of the school board? Because it sounds like you're on the path to success. I would like to just warmly embrace that thought, but I have been in this battle too long. After 10 years since I've been fighting Common Core, Common Core became entrenched. The children of the core, children now exist that were raised by parents who were trained with Common Core. I'm concerned that those children are doomed. The critical race theory, social emotional learning, comprehensive sex ed, the other horrors that await children in public schools have yet to get my attention to this level. So we're going to deal with pornography in schools. We'll work down from the high school since that's where I started. But there are books in elementary school that don't belong there. And the books are allowed to exist. Go, You want to go share this horrible book, in my opinion, with your family? Go on Amazon, buy it. Go to the public library, take it out. Don't put it in a public setting and... It's being forced, thrust upon our children. They stumble through the shelves, grab books with pretty colors, and the graphic novel Gender Queer that was just removed from this district not too long ago. It's so vile that to interpret it as anything other than pornography boggles my mind. Somebody thought it was a good idea to put that book on the shelves. That person, to this day, remains unaccountable, but at least the book has been pulled. There's many more, more than 100, that I've already flagged, brought to the attention of the board, and to the CAO, Roger Daly, and they seem to be currently working under their new policy that was instituted right after I spoke on June 30th. I'm going to pretend that I'm a patient man and let the process continue for a couple of weeks, and then I will get back to you on how it's working. Well, I want to say thank you for, for taking the time to engage the school board, and I want to thank you for joining us to well, as uh, today as well. And I appreciate your example, and I would encourage other parents across the country to, to follow it. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. Appreciate All right. Bruce uh, Friedman, I mean, you can make a difference, folks. Uh, you can uh, get involved, whether it's in the library, uh, whether it's in the classroom, but get involved. All right, there's more on the education front I want to turn to now, and uh, to do so, I want to bring in our own Meg Kilgannon, who has been uh, tracking all of this. She is a senior fellow here for Education Studies and a former member of the Trump Department of Education. Meg, welcome back. Hey, Tony. All right, let, let, you, you heard the, the conversation I was having with Bruce. How prevalent is that across the country? I mean, we're hearing more and more about this. Well, it's important to consider the the problem that the publishing industry is having, getting books off the shelves in bookstores. And so a market for them to pursue is public funding, right? Send it to public libraries, but especially public schools. So this a, a tremendous amount of material they have in the young adult category and in, in all the, all the, for the little kids. Um, they have leaned really hard into the woke agenda, and they are pumping these books out and giving, giving them, creating awards, making them popular, and they're getting them into school libraries. 
Now, this is not new. I mean, I, I, I go back uh, 15 years or long uh, further when these books were coming in. I, I think there's probably a stronger flow, but I think there's also a greater understanding of what's happening. More parents are aware, and so that's why we're hearing more about this. Well, the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion push means that books with very anti-racist comment that's actually, we know, racist content, uh, books with LGBT content, uh, trans content, all of that allegedly inclusive material is put out through the libraries. Some of it is even inserted in special collections in classroom libraries. Right. So as a parent, you really have to be engaged with your school. But that's making a difference. As parents are involved, you have school district by school district uh, having different approaches. Uh, Bruce was talking about one they're taking there, but sometimes they're just completely removed if parents flag them. It's so great when you have dads stepping up, too. It's, yeah. Moms are great, but it really it makes such a tremendous difference when you have a dad engaged. There's, there's, yeah. It's just really wonderful. I, I want to transition to another topic. You uh, Earlier we were talking about the NEA convention uh, last week, and we talked to one of the teachers that was a part of that convention. But there's another teachers' union, uh, the American Federation of Teachers, and they recently had uh, their meeting. And it's, it's interesting. They were doing some polling uh, on education. And the polling that they were doing was through Heart uh, Research, which is a Democratic-leaning or a Democratic uh, research uh, polling firm. And it was very stunning that they admitted what they did and even published it. And that is, at present, now consider this is coming from a Democratic pollster, but at present, Republicans had a 39 to 38 percent advantage over Democrats when it comes to education. It's never been close before. No, and the fact that that's coming out of a Democrat polling firm is truly amazing. They polled battleground states, so you had 1,700 people from places as diverse as Florida to Michigan, right? If you have polled just 1,000 people in Florida versus 1,000 people in Michigan, imagine the difference in the results that you would have gotten. So they did their best (laughs) to get the best results they they could, and they're still bad for them. Because Democrats historically have had an advantage when it comes to public education. Sure, Uh, They've lost that advantage, and, and they're bemoaning that fact, and part of it they say is conservatives have portrayed teachers and Democrats as child predators, okay? Um, but then the, the what the, I'm reading from an article, it says, that, but the Democratic pollsters who went into the field for the American Federation of Teachers concluded that most voters want their kids taught the good and the bad about race relations in America, less so about gender identity, and may reward the party that focuses more on fundamental instruction than ideological warfare. Well, that leaves the Democrats out. What a, <laughs> what a relief, right? I mean, that's <laughs> if what If only they would want. listen, right? Yeah. That's exactly what we're asking for. And the the um, it was really interesting, the big difference between the questions on gender identity and sex and sex education versus the CRT stuff. Parents, it didn't matter if you were liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, nobody wants the gender stuff. Yeah. That should be pretty well, clear yeah, from and that, this that poll. That was actually pretty because um, – on the topic of sexual preference and gender identity, 58% of those that were polled said they are dissatisfied with the way the issues are discussed in school. Now, again, I just want to preface, this is a Democratic pollster that's doing this. Yeah. And so they're going to poll in such a manner that would favor uh, their perspective. A 31% plurality. Plurality, including 12% of self-described liberals, said students are too young for this material. So nobody wants it. As you said, even liberals, self-described liberals said we shouldn't be doing this. Right. And they definitely don't want it in the youngest grades. So why are they doing it? Well, they have an agenda. And it was that that exchange between Josh Hawley and the law professor from Berkeley, that's at a very high level of government. But that is the kind of exchange that's happening in school meetings across the country when parents go to the school and say, why did you change my child's name? And the people at the other side of the table for the school just, you know, talk, try to educate the parent about gender identity. I mean, think about what's happening in the classroom where you have basically one-way communication and a teacher is indoctrinating the, the children. Yes. 
I mean, because the children can't push back like Josh Hawley did. Right, right. And the, the no, they certainly can't. Um, and the 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 arrogance, her demeanor of sighing in response to him, her disrespect for for the the situation and the the questioning, his genuine desire to dialogue with her yeah. uh, was not met with a genuine desire to dialogue. She was going to demagogue, and right. that's that's the situation here. The the polling on teacher preference was interesting. They don't like teacher unions, even the Democrats don't. But they seem to be relatively happy with their teachers, which is similar to the the, the polling you always get on Congress, right? right? Everybody like hates Congress, Congress, but we love our like Congress their, yeah. person. So there was a memo that accompanied the survey, and uh, they've developed kind of a four-part uh, strategy, communication strategy. Number one is they want to frame Republicans as politicizing education. Mm-hmm. And this is very typical. We're doing it. Yeah, right. That's very <laughs> typical. I mean, going back to the marriage debates, you know, that we wanted to talk about them. We didn't want to talk about this stuff. Oh. Uh, homosexuality and all that. We didn't want to talk about that. We were just having to push back on this uh, this rapid push of an agenda. So frame Republicans as politicizing education. Emphasize, number two, emphasize Democrats' preference for investing in schools. Number three, highlight the most extreme proposals from conservatives. I think the extreme proposals are on the other (laughs) side. And number four is reinforce the idea that parents have an important role in ensuring their kids get a good education. Well, that certainly runs counter to what the Biden administration has been calling parents as domestic terrorists. Right, right. And so when they talk about extreme proposals from conservatives, they'll try to call the gentleman you had on earlier a book banner, right? He wants to ban books. No, he wants to have intelligent and responsible selection of library materials to be put in front of children. That has nothing to do with banning books. So this this whole business of framing is what is, is... really important for us to understand that they are going to try to paint parents as the enemy, uh, even while they claim to be our friends. But what has happened, Meg, is that what parents are doing is working. It is. Yes, it is. They're responding, right? This is clearly, they wouldn't do a, a cover poll like this one is to try to to try to figure out what's wrong if, if things were the same as they were a year ago. So what do parents need to do? So we need you to get involved consider running for office, run a parents group, speak to your school board members, go to www.frcaction.org slash schools for our resources, become engaged because yeah. you're, you're, we need you there. Your presence makes a huge difference. All right. Meg Kilgannon, always great to talk with you. Thank you. It's Thanks great so to much be here. for joining us today. And folks, I want to thank you for joining us. And I do want to encourage you once again, you know, as a parent, you are responsible for your child's education. You can delegate the authority, but you can never delegate the responsibility. God has given that to you. So make sure you train up your children in the way that it should go. Thanks so much for being with us today. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.